Well, good day. I'm Mark Sylvester, your host for this 805 Conversation, where we talk to fascinating people you'll want to know better. If this is your first time listening, thanks for coming. The 805 Conversations podcast is produced every other week. Please subscribe so you don't miss any upcoming shows. Our show is sponsored by California Lutheran University School of Management and Tolman and & Weicker Insurance Services. Thanks to them both for their support and continued encouragement. And thanks to my podcasting partner and co-host, Patrick, from Polstering Press for this great studio. Good morning, Patrick. Good morning, Mark. So, Patrick, yes, um, uh, paint a picture for our listener. Um, we're in the basement of the Balboa Building. Uh, beneath beneath the Balboa Building in Santa Barbara, California. There you go. So yeah. That's exactly how I first Think, learned yeah. about this podcast uh-huh. years ago. Um, and, and so the Balboa Building is... One of the two skyscrapers in Santa Barbara. Sure, sure. It's, it's running at six, at six stories. stories. We are <laughs> us in the Granada. Yeah, and we're right in the middle of a large retail complex. At, yes, uh, Paseo Nuevo, right downtown. Right, right. Part but of as the... we were walking into the studio, we're noticing empty buildings, mm-hmm. torn up stuff. Yep. And I'm really worried about like retail, like not just in Santa Barbara, just retail. You're not alone. I know, right? You're not alone. Yeah, it's it's just. I, I think we should get someone on the show to talk about that. I think. Well, I think it's interesting because I think every conversation I've been having of late ends up going there, ends up relitigating oh. this idea of of how are we going to use our public spaces uh, as as a community. We've got these retail spaces, and we don't shop there anymore. Right. You know, we keep seeing stores go away, and we think like, oh no, the the bikini store is leaving, literally is leaving yes. off Ortega. And my wife was like, oh no. That was one of my favorite stories. I'm like, we haven't been there in two years. Right. So, right. You know, we've got to, you've got to, if you want it to stay, you've got to use it, but. But no one does. No. And I think that probably that's going to be the next, the next thing that we can't predict. There's certainly people out there that are forecasting and figuring out what, what, what will we do with this opportunity that well, is. Well, that's what it is, space. right? It's yeah. a, a community um, development question. Yeah. Conversation. It's going to be good. I want to have that on the show. Well, so if you're out there and that is your specialty. Well, contact us. Drop us a line. Please. Mark at 805conversations.com. There you go. Um, I'd like you to meet our guest, Dennis Baker. Dennis, welcome to the show. Thanks. Thanks Dennis, we've we've known each other for a while now through um, through TEDx. And um, it was interesting. I was I was doing some of our my deep research, which is a little bit of Googling. Um, <laughs> Mild Googling. But um, back in 2016, um, we experimented with curating the audience. What? Ted. What yeah. does that mean? Oh, well, so Big Ted, as we call it, Big mm-hmm. Ted, um, you have to apply to go. You have to apply to spend yeah. a, a lot of sure. money to go. And <gasps> Oh, you've actually talked about that. Okay, keep going. We've, yeah. I'm, I'm, I'm getting ahead of it. I apologize. Yes. I and, remember this. Yeah. And so we, uh, and, and we're not alone. Many, many, many TEDx's curate the audience because they want to be able to say, there's really interesting people sitting to the left and the right of you, and right. you should get to meet them. And, right. and it's not, that's where the the amazing connections come from. Exactly, and it's not. Um, some people will go to the TEDx because it's a good networking opportunity. Which mm. yes, but you go for the ideas. Boy, doesn't networking sound like a dirty word I, anymore? To, if you talk to millennials, <laughs> it is. Uh, oh, yeah. that's adulting. Okay, oh, yeah. yes. <laughs> networking right. makes it sound like the red light district. Yeah. Are you going to, are you going to be networking? Yeah. Or? Yes, we are. So, Dennis. Um, protection. What was interesting is is you wrote, um, what if we could, because we asked you to um, answer the question that year, because the theme was what if. 
what 10 words best describe what if. And you said, what if we could organize Santa Barbara's existing resources to serve the community even better than we do now? And I'm curious, that was three years ago. Yeah, please get back was there. Was it three years ago? Yeah, it was three years ago. And um, it was actually July 6th, 2016. And I know you're really involved in nonprofits. And so let's just kind of put those two things together and tell me what do you think about answering that question today? Yeah, that's that's interesting. Um, I think um, not as a criticism of what we have going now, because I think that Santa Barbara is uniquely situated uh, in terms of nonprofits and uh, organizing resources and so on, and uh, putting those resources to good use and there's been some really um, great people who have lived here on the philanthropic side from a, you know, a Michael Tobes to a Lenny Feblon to, you know, the Ridley Trees and, and so on. I'm, I'm sure I'm missing a lot of people who've really um, been very active and in organizing those types of things. And I know that the role of the Santa Barbara Foundation um, had always been sort of acting as a community foundation at one point. Um, maybe not quite that way now. Maybe it's, it's evolved a little bit into you know, some, some different areas, um, which is kind of another topic. Uh, but uh, you know, there always has been, you know, I, th I think you had mentioned on one uh, podcast I'd heard of that there's something like 1,800 yep. nonprofits in town. There's 1,800 that are you know, kind of on the radar and probably another 2,000 that are maybe a couple of people who I was going to say, can we debunk that for a minute on <laughs> on, on what what that, because it's very, it's very, uh, it feels to me like, so what do we mean by 1,800 nonprofits? How, how much impact and influence, or are those just like pocket things that somebody started and have kind of kept going as a tax shelter? I, I, think, I think that uh, the 1,800 are the ones that are legit, that go for funding, that uh, have, have- written a grant, have, 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 have yeah, sought and they're, support they're from still the community, at has it. provided- it's, yeah. The largest concentration of nonprofits in the country, right here. And then you have all of these, and this all came from work I did um, with the Hutton Parker Foundation seven or eight years ago to build out the nonprofit resource network. So right. they took and closed the brick and mortar resource center for these people, and we built an online resource center, which is still running today we freed up a brick and mortar location <laughs> for a new opportunity yeah. <laughs> back to our yeah. empty yeah. buildings right because yeah. it's because the thing is people want to google for that information at any sure. time and it's two in the morning and the resource center is closed right um so dennis do you have i'm just curious about this um being an entrepreneur being a marketing guy but then being involved with nonprofits. A lot of entrepreneurs will tell them, you know, you really should um, go get involved in the community and do a little bit of give back. What would your counsel be to, uh, you know, a couple of guys that are developing an app and we'll get to that. Mm -hmm. and, the, and, and that's all they're doing 24-7. And you say, well, you know, guess what? You need to give back. And I think it's not just unique <laughs> to Santa Barbara. It's whoever is listening to this in any one of the 42 countries. Yeah. What's, what's the pitch to get involved? Well, I think basically um, the, there's different stages of, if you're talking about a for-profit in terms of giving back, I'm a firm believer in you know, that, 
that for-profit needs to establish itself first. I think it's going to be a better partner, a better contributor, um, if it's established, if it's if it's profitable, if it you know has built its built itself up first to a point where now it's at a place where it can give. Doesn't mean that you know their employees can't volunteer in the community, that they can't be highlighting things internally of of, of outreach and so on, and you know, and certain perspectives and, and mission statements that you know coincide with the impact they want to have in their community. But I think to really be a, a significant giver, or you know, um, to move into that next level, I think they, they should establish themselves a little bit more because you don't want to get off focus of what you're doing, especially if you're a startup. Uh, you have to be, you can't do that half half ass. <laughs> you have to do that a hundred and or thousand percent basically. Right. Um, so, but I think you know, th there's a lot of things that have been going on. There's the whole um, impact in giving, impact investing. There's all these different, you know, trends and, and speak about this topic. Um, I know 10, 15 years ago, I, I remember back in 2000, I'd talked about, I'd called them corporate giving strategies, you know, where organizations and corporations need to come up with ways in which they need to incorporate um, giving, volunteering, et cetera, et cetera. And I know, I remember being at a chamber of commerce once where I brought that up and how I can help companies with that. And I remember the person after me who spoke about their company kind of derided it like oh. it was very ironic and they said well we're here to help you make money we're not here to help you know you give if you want to make money come and talk to us but you know that's that's the technical term for those throwing shade yeah they throw shade <laughs> yeah. on you yeah so yeah. i was kind of like okay but now you 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 can't have a company without having that as a as a, an area of consideration you just you just can't you're considered I, that just sounds like somebody who was a little panicked about going up and talking about what they had to talk about, and, and the, the easiest way to do it is just like, oh, I'll just I'll I'll launch off of that. I'll just jump off that. Yeah, maybe shoulders. so. Maybe the, so. The acronym for that uh, is CSR, which is Corporate Social Responsibility, and that's oh, yeah. written into public companies. You know, I mean, and now we have you know, benefit corporations, B corps, and what do we think about the sincerity of that? This is this is a, qu a question to our guests. Well, is is that is that you know, like, do we believe in the sincerity of that? Or is it just like, oh, well, we just want to put on a good face? Well, I think I, I think there's two folds. And I think as just as there are many different individuals out there and, and perspectives, there are corporations. I know that it, from a business standpoint, anyone who's done their research, and this goes back, you know, back into the 90s, I've seen research done by PhDs about the direct relationship between philanthropy from a cor corporation and, and an uptick in sales. Hmm. I mean, that has been there and that's always, that's been there forever. Um, so companies, if they're going to be profitable and they want to be competitive, they're going to have to get into that space. So from a business perspective. So you're literally saying, it's, it's, but we'll make you more money. It will make you more money. Yeah. It will, you know, it, almost every single time yeah. uh, that you, you involve that. And, and now even more so than when those studies were done. I mean, those studies were back in the 90s. So uh, but, you know, there are companies out there who are, you know, I hate to be, sound cynical, but I think they're using it strictly for that purpose. Sure. Um, Whitewashing their, their image. Yeah. And, and I think there's corporate karma. And later on, you see who those companies <laughs> sure. are and, and yeah. when they do things that are counter to their actual stated values. Mm. You know, you can't keep that contained forever in a you know, and the bigger you get, the more problematic it becomes. But again, there are companies that really do have these values, and this is a tool for them. And uh, um, the whole idea of, of making money for them is so that they can find ways to impact their communities, impact the world, 
and give that back. You know, um, I know that's my attitude. I, I'm not looking to have a lot of money to build a Hearst Castle. I would want to build something else. Wasn't that a weird impulse for them? Like, like Hearst got all this, you know, and, and it's like I'm going to build a castle. That that's what that's what will make that's what will that's bring what happiness. Too much money will do. Well, yeah, Hearst and I'm like, going to try to collect all the art I can. In right. Europe, there is. And pack it yes. in there. Well, and that was, and you think about like versus like Bill and Melinda Gates or like, you know, some other people who have set up foundations to say, uh, how do we redisperse this, uh, this, this economic let's windfall? Let's eradicate malaria. Right. Sure. Right. It, versus like, let's build a house that's just trampoline floors. Like, you know, oh, like, I want that. I want to go in there. I house. think they actually have a room that's a trampoline but, room. But what's really good about the whole thing, though, even if there are people who have suspect motives, mm-hmm. is that it does, when, when people are doing good, it lifts up everyone. Yeah. And it, I think it can have that effect to actually change people's attitudes over time. And I to, have this conversation a lot, and I, I don't know if it's because I'm, I'm just, I'm a Tedster and I tend to think about things in that way and I ask those kinds of questions. I'm really interested in corporate um, organizations and organizational development and what kind of structures corporations put in for, not even corporations, let's say just businesses and organizations around their people. And I think that when you have put in genuine, you said this is a core value for us, part of the ethos is that we give back. Um, I remember being pulled aside when I was 30 at a meeting in Santa Barbara and Peter McDougall, who was the president of City College at the time, said, explain to me what, what as an elder, <laughs> what, what, my, what it meant to give back to Santa Barbara for everything it's given to me and what my role was in that. And That's a I, really great talk that more people should be giving. Mm. I uh, t- I took that to heart. Yeah, you know, he says it's your your you know you're the next incoming generation who needs to keep these things going and sustainable. Where I'm going with that is that now telling that story about your company, the brand story about what's your relationship to community, what's your relationship to giving, whatever that is, when it's not about us, it's about others, and having that fairly prominent on your website is actually a, a, an attraction tool as the new employees are looking for that, right? They want to know. Uh, Patrick, you'll love, we, we talk about millennials right. a lot. And <laughs> we have this millennial who's in charge of the social f- and the marketing for our TEDx in Santa Barbara. And I said to her, I said, what's, if you could say, what's the one message your generation wants more than anything else? Like, if you could say that, I mean, she's not an expert, but she lives in that world. If you could distill it, what would your company, yeah, what would the, yeah. They want to be informed. They don't want to be left out of the loop. They no, don't want to be she ignorant. didn't say FOMO, which huh. I thought it was going to be. It was yeah. like, no, we want to be informed. We'll, we will do the work to learn the thing we need to learn, which means they're going to go, if they're thinking of doing business with your company, if they're thinking of working with your company or partnering with your company, they want to look at all of that kind of stuff. And to your point of the ones who just do it to greenwash or whitewash uh, themselves, one tweet can upset that house of cards these days, right? Yep. I think millennials now, um, authenticity is the number one thing they're looking for. Um, and more than anything else, I mean, they authentic about whatever they are, whoever they are. Uh, when they when people aren't being that, when companies aren't being that, that is, is 
easily observable, and uh, it's really a problem. It's a really big problem. And I think that sometimes there's a gap there because I think an older generation sometimes maybe feels like they can, you know, through their the way they've been doing things for years, whitewash things. And Mas- just massage the message. Massage it, it and yeah. it just it just doesn't work. And uh, however, as a messaging branding person and a crisis management person, you know, uh, there are techniques and tools to to resolve these things, but I think the most important aspect for any organization, nonprofit or for-profit, is their message, is their brand, um, and really being able to establish that very well. I I always, and it's a very hard process to do. Um, I find uh, one of the best descriptors for this is is, um, a quote from John Adams. John Adams was writing Thomas Jefferson a letter. Say the, the father or the son? Uh, the father. The father. Right. The father was writing uh, Thomas Jefferson because uh, they were very close friends, um, you know, until the very end. And they both died on the same day. But oh, that's right. Yeah. He had written him a letter and he said, you know, had I had much more time, I would have written a much shorter letter. So um, I think. Is that where that originally came from? I the, thought that was Twain. It was Adams. Oh, great. Yeah, it was, it great. was in a letter to them. Yeah. And basically. I mean, that sums up the messaging branding component for me. It's like to take, you know, what a corporation does, what a nonprofit does, to take an, or an individual, and boil down all that complexity to something that someone can easily understand and resonate with and say, ah, you know, I, I, I can empathize with that. Um, I can, you know, there's some emotion there. There's something that expresses a model that I quickly understand. And I think that is the most important thing for any corporation, both internally and externally. I've watched nonprofits be completely transformed by just going through this process with them, um, by helping them understand their boards to be able to understand and express quickly uh, and effectively what they do. It changed them from being a a board member that was ready to leave to deciding to stay and becoming an evangelist for them. ticked up the donations and so on and so forth. But I've seen that really dramatically change organizations. And I think people just don't always get that. They see that as a marketing component. They want to discount the marketing because they don't have money and they want to leave the marketing off and say, you know, we're going to try to just play around the edges with it. When I think that is the most important thing they need to work on um, outside of, you know, the actual programming that they're doing and the product that they're providing. I mean, that, that's the most important thing. Distilling, well, I mean, it speaks to that earlier point of distilling that message down to, or that brand or that, the, the, any of it, distilling it down to its kind of core element that's, that's relatable is exactly what Mark is saying about the millennials, which is that in complexity, there can, even if it is honest, complexity per, is a, per, you can get a perception of deception. That's a lot of inches, but, but like, you know what I mean? Like if you wrap up your message with all of this, like, oh, we're going to reach out to this and this and this and this, and it's like, no, no, we're a company who reaches out to the small. Oh, there's no complexity in there. Right. So I'm informed. There's honesty. There's not, you know, there's, you're not, you're not attempting to hide anything. Even if you weren't attempting to hide something, just having it be that very clear distilled message eliminates the perception of, oh, these people. Because, you know, like like anytime somebody's talking too much at you at a, at a networking event and you're just thinking like, at <laughs> is the right word. There. At you. At yeah. You. And you're, and you, yeah. And you start and starting to realize like, well, if you could have said this in five words, you know, we, we might be on the same page, but now you're just over convincing me. I don't right. need to be over convinced. You had said earlier this, um, and I had this picture in my mind that we have the old school, I'm going to say I'm old school, the, um, the, 
the boomer generation on one end of the curve and then the millennials on the other end of the curve and then the X in the middle. And there these the older generation is going to be that I'm going to tell you a story and it's going to be a while and mm-hmm. it's going to, I'm going to go on and on and on and on where the millennial is like, can we get all that into a hashtag? <laughs> Cause that's really the exercise now. And the one we lead clients through is okay. When we do brand story. So it's a very similar thing that you're doing. It's okay. Let's get it all. It's five minute, three minute. Okay. What's it in one minute? What's it in one sentence? Okay, what's the hashtag? And it's very challenging, but in fact, if you can distill your whole thing into that hashtag, you A, you should, and B, that helps other people remember exactly what it is. Yeah, exactly. And you know that, that and, and another issue I find uh, the, with a difference between people who are of an older generation and, and now, um, and I see this a lot in politics too, and I won't get political, don't worry, <laughs> but um, I see a lot in politics where uh, terms, you know, the, the, the meaning of words oh, and the yeah. usage of those words, um, I think you see a lot of people who are find it difficult to um, re-message a word or rebrand a word as, mm. a, as a tool to um, not just uh, win an argument, but also to shed light on a particular topic. And Give I think an there's example. a positive Give me an way. example of that. Oh, that's that's a good that's a good question. Um, oh, oh, what would be a good example? Um, well, it, I think back. I think um, and I think the word tolerant, for example, it has I think it has multiple meanings meanings to people. It has one meaning to people on the left and one meaning to people on the right. Mm-hmm. And um, and then I think it has its Webster dictionary and a traditional right. meaning. And I don't think they're the same. I think You're they're right. actually You're quite, right. quite different. And so both sides are using that word to galvanize their point of view. They're triggers. Yeah. As triggers. And... Um, People who were flexible, you know, uh, to, let's say, wanting to win a debate around that topic would be more apt to try to influence the meaning of that word and change the meaning of that word to redefine the term so that they could both win the argument and win, you know, the perspective or whatever, not just win the specific argument, but, but win the entire, you know, concept behind the word. And I think... Um, older audiences are stuck on, on meanings of words and sure. and groups and our, our culture uses those words again and again and again to you know communicate certain things and I think there's a our young, a younger audience maybe a millennial audience is more comfortable taking a word and switching up the definition like at the drop of a hat they're whether that's right or wrong I'm it's it's a remessaging a rebranding of a word if you will. And because they do that, they're suddenly creating um, not only just a new definition, but they're giving power to that word. Um, and it's not a, you know it doesn't matter whether you agree or disagree with what the term is and where it's going. It's just a it's just something I'm seeing that is happening. And then so then words there's a whole lexicon of words out there that become so loaded 
that both sides can't even really have a right. conversation because there's the terminology is so, you know, in, ingrained. And I think to be able to go and step back and maybe find a way to redefine those words and be more comfortable doing that. I mean, obviously not outside the 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 real meaning of the words, but in a way that that depoliticizes some of those words can help to improve the dialogue, um, and and not just in politics, but just in in everyday sure. things. You know, I don't know if that made perfect well, sense. Well, no, that I, was kind of a the example that came to my mind was um, I'm uncomfortable when someone says something like I'm responding on Facebook. Let's say and someone had some experience, I want to say me too. Oh, right. Yeah, yeah. There's an example of it that, you know, I feel like that's been now appropriated, Yeah. right? And so it's, so, and so it's a very fluid situation. In fact, we're going to talk about that um, at one of our TEDx salons called Words, Words, Words. Mm. Um, and I'm really, this is a hugely important topic because the secret language of organizations and tribes are there are words that bind us. And when I hear someone saying one of those words, I'm thinking, oh, I'm going to listen to them because they're in my tribe. Or if oh. they say a word that's like, right, no, right, right. that puts <laughs> you in sign. another. Yeah. 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 And exactly. boom, we just write this. And then the wall goes up. Boom. And you're not going to get through. Mm -hmm. huh. I was recently at uh, Frank Luntz's house. Um, he had a group. He was he wanted to find a way to bridge the divide between uh, conservatives and, and liberals. And so he brought a, a group of both to his home. Um, I don't know if you know Frank Luntz's, but um, he's a very famous political pollster. And he's the only guy I've ever met who has a... a has a Lincoln bedroom replica in his house and an Oval <laughs> Office replica in his house. He has, for, for what, what does he do with it? Like photo has, shoots? Like what he, has, he, has, he rents it out to Hollywood. Yeah, he, okay. he, yeah, he has fundraisers there all the time for oh, different okay. causes. Sure. And Is he here in town? He's in Be uh, Brentwood. He lives in you know Beverly Hills, Brentwood That's area. Yeah. And uh, the house is just, I mean, he has more political and historic memorabilia and things of anything. He's, a museum. He's living in a museum. He's living in a museum. Yeah. It's a, it's amazing. It was just, that was the most fascinating thing I've ever seen. But he, he went over a whole group of, you know, words that he's like, but these are words we have to like stop using hmm. in the next year because they're, they're toxic for everyone, you know? And I, that's kind of one of the things I was thinking about. I was like, boy, this, we've got to find a way to find a vocabulary in which we can all talk to each other without immediately throwing out the other person's you know, point of view. So that I was thinking of the guy's name. He's, he's kind of bigger, a bigger guy. Yeah. Of a big guy, yeah. Mm -hmm. So he, um, and he's skews conservative. Skews he does. right. He does, yeah. Um, so that was the guy. So he was at TED in Vancouver in March. Okay. And TED skews left of left. And, <laughs> well, I wouldn't say that. I'd say middle to left. And Yeah, I think it's middle to left. Yeah, middle to left. And, and Chris Anderson in saying, you know, we're going to have challenging conversations this year, right? And uh, the, the theme was bigger than us. And Frank got up there and he, it was the list of words like, yeah, that's him. So here, there's the word, uh, you know, here's the word we use and it triggers this. So use this word instead. That's mm -hmm. his whole jam, right? Mm -hmm. That's, that was the guy I was thinking with, as you were saying that. Yep. I'm going to vector us over sure. to um, the work you're doing in marketing leads you to 
have to meet all these interesting companies and interesting ideas. And when we we met uh, a little while back, you had this idea for an app, and you went. Normally, the marketing guys aren't the ones who actually go and do that. But why don't you tell us about this thing you've developed? Because I'd like to understand that. Because we the people who listen to the show, entrepreneurs, and and they or or they've got a job and they're like. I got a little side hustle. I got an idea. If I could go do that idea, that might be my, you know, my unicorn. Tell us about that. Yeah, um, and and don't ever feel like you're ever too old to do something to try a new idea either. You know, I'm not exactly 20 years old either. You feel like you have to be 20 to hey, start I, a tech company. You don't. <laughs> look me up on the internet and see how old I actually am. And you'll, 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 the answer really? is a big old yes to that. Um, so yeah, I I uh, I just I saw a pain point. In LA, I travel to LA all the time. I have clients down there, so I'm down there every week. Um, and I just, you know, I was looking at the signs, and there's signs there that I call totem pole signs, which have up to nine different regulations on one sign. Mm-hmm. And that's one spot, and you're sitting there going, Can I park here or not? I don't, I mean, I have to read this whole sign. I have to sit here for five minutes, congesting traffic, people honking their horns, going, Get out of the way. And I'm just trying to like, well, do I park here or not? You know, and uh, people have gotten tickets trying to determine whether they could park there or not. In the oh, that's that a has, thing. It actually has happened. So, anyways, I thought there has to be some technology out there for that. Well, make a long story short, I searched and searched and searched, nothing out there. Um, and so I was like, well, that's really weird. That this should be digitized. We're in a modern age. Every bit of information should be digitized and available. Um, it was not. I searched and searched and searched. Um, and I thought, well, I'm going to do some research. And over the next, I would say, year, I, I kind of kept researching the, the the viability of starting an app that would have this and who would have the information. And once I realized and what's that, the this, sorry, but oh, the, is this the is, this interpreting totem poles? Or is it? This is an app that that interprets those all the information, but provides you. It's a called Polis Assist, and it's a parking app in LA. But it's uh, Polis is the ancient Greek term for um, a city state in its ideal form. It's in Plato's Republic and so on. And so I wanted to make uh, the urban experience more ideal. So this I thought would be um, the one of the first things, biggest pain points in a city is parking for people, and um, so. I, I realized um, as I was going forward that the city of LA doesn't have this information digitized. They have it in file cabinets throughout the city. So information would and be like the, these blocks are yeah. are forbidden on Tuesdays from two to three. Yeah, what all the street and, information is parking wise, sure. not to mention you know parking garages and all that other information. But you know where can you park? You go into a neighborhood. You you if you're going to someone's house, even you're driving up and down the street. Not only trying to find a parking spot, you're reading the signs. Is this permit only, or right. can I, park? I mean, what is this? Santa Monica is usually permit only, except for certain oh, times of the gosh. day. Yeah. yeah, and and if right. you go past four o'clock or five o'clock, then you will be susceptible to a ticket unless you're a resident. Blah 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 blah. I've I've had that ticket. I've yep. gotten that ticket. Yeah, yeah. and and that and. And the more I, I got into this, though, the more I realized that there's a good reason the city hasn't digitized this information. Um, really? What's the yeah. reason? The reason is it's it's sad but true, and I, I've got tons of data and research. Revenue. Revenue is the parking ticket revenue. Hundreds of millions of dollars in parking ticket revenue. Yeah. City of New York, $550 million into parking revenue. Yeah. Um, and you think, who drives in New York? You know, <laughs> uh, Taxi drivers and... 
Anyway. Well, a lot of commercial, yeah. A lot, a lot of commercial. commercial. Yeah. A lot of commercial. Who just pays it and writes it off as a as a loss to the company. But there's even there there are individuals that parked there. They had a spot in New York that that there was one spot over the course of like a few months they made like four million dollars on, and then they realized, oh well, actually it wasn't illegal to park there. Oh, that's so fine. you know. Um, and this, someone called him on it. This one is your, one, re, one reporter <laughs> went and did a little research on one spot because yeah. he's like, I don't think that's right. And, you know, one spot in the entire city. And he's like, oh, that's $4 million the city made on that spot. And it's not even illegal. Yeah. So, and they're like, oh, and they told the city. And the city's like, oh, yeah, you're right. So what are we going to do now? How do we give the money back? It's like, okay. It'll spend $4 million giving the money back is yeah. what they'll do. Yeah. But anyways, what I discovered about uh, LA is that, no, they, they really don't want to, that information out there. Um, so what did you do to get the information out there? I hired a team of 40, 50 people over eight months, broke up the city, created a third app that was that uh, geosynchronously dropped the information into the map and the images of the signs and all that stuff. So I collected 500,000 blocks of data. What? Wait. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> wait. So <laughs> this is like a Tom Cruise stunt. So wait. So how'd they do it? They did it. They did it. You just went to the ground. did it. You went on the ground. We went it. on the ground from skateboard to bike to car. That's to amazing. Walking. Um, you mapped it. We mapped the whole city out. Yeah. And so, you know, now we're, we're democratizing that data. We're making yeah. it available so people can, you know, avoid avoid these parking tickets. Because then as I the deeper I got into this, the more I realized that this is almost a social justice issue. Mm -hmm. It's essentially this these parking fines are a regressive tax hurting yeah. the working poor in every urban city in America. Santa Barbara currently uh, standard parking tickets forty eight dollars. If you look at minimum wage and you know, like you're t you're taking you would that would be for a 15 minute, 20 minute infraction. You're going to take half half, half, days of the, half a day's wages. That is disproportionate to what's happened. That's well, it's disproportionate a whole day's to the wage, wages for people in L.A. It's like right. 89 to 100 and something, depending on where. And then here's the other kicker is that research has been done. 18 percent of the parking tickets in L.A. are fraudulently given. Meaning they're, they're wrong. They're they, wrong. It's not. No, that accidental is wrong. Fraudulent is we know you didn't do anything. We know you're absolutely legal, but we're giving you a ticket anyway. Because we're standing here because, and I've already typed it in. Because we're, we're, you're probably not going to get back in the next five minutes or ten minutes. So oh. we're, I'm not going to wait here all day. I'm going to go on to the next block, so I'm going to give you a ticket. 18%? 18%. So that's millions and millions of dollars. Yeah. And here's the even worse part about but it. But the gamble is they're not going to fight it. So You, you know. can't. You couldn't fight it until 2017. You could not fight it. Someone had to sue for oh due God. process in the city of LA and they sued all the way to the state Supreme Court yeah. because the people giving out the tickets was a corporation called Xerox. It was a vendor. It, the private company and they were not only giving out but they were adjudicating the tickets. No. Clear conflict of interest a five year old yeah. kid would have figured that out but they couldn't figured that out the city of la and all its wisdom they outsourced to they had a vendor 86 million dollars they paid in uh, i think it was 2016 to xerox to manage the parking that's why it's so effective that's why when you get it that's why when you're not back at your car and you're one minute late there's someone already there most effective arm of government that's not part of the government so they like who knew well, I mean, we all know, we all feel that, but, but we don't have we don't have who, the evidence to to, yeah. to, to argue sued, the point. They sued this man for one ticket. He got a six hundred thousand dollar reward, huh. um, which probably went to the attorneys anyway. Yeah. But the the bottom line is, they had to create a, a whole new office in L.A. to deal with the due process because they proved that when people fought a ticket, when they didn't actually get a ticket, it was just shot back and said, "Sorry, 
you yeah. know. Yeah. Tough. Yeah. And so, um, and here's here. This is the worst. Everybody part about has it. a story. Every single person. Everybody has a, has a story, but yeah. it gets really bad because what happens is not only does it the ticket get more if you don't pay it, you can't pay it. If you're a working poor and that's a hundred dollars and that's like they turn my, you right. It gets really big, and then they boot your car and they put your car in impound. Like thirty thousand dollars later, you file bankruptcy. So and they're bankrupting people, bankrupting over, over families, and fa- the, false parking tickets. Yeah, and the city of Chicago actually reported this, and I, I, I'm, I'm guarantee you, it's the same in L.A. and San Francisco, New York, any major metropolis. The number one reason for Chapter Seven in Chicago in 2016 started with parking tickets. Par- were parking tickets? No, due come to on. Parking, t- parking tickets. No, come According on. According to the Chicago Tribune, look it up. I know. I believe you. It's I'm so, just like, this is our societal choice. This is what we're. This is what we're doing with our with our time. This is what we're doing. This is yeah. we're not enforcing parking. We're not trying to make the parking regimen uh, in the city better. We're looking at this. The city's looking at this as a revenue cash cow for them. And every public planner and urban planner that's coming out right now is talking about how they do, do study after study after study that we are overparked. That we have too many unused parking spaces. We do in almost every metropolis. Really? Yeah. And most we of do. it's due to the fact. That it's not, we don't have, we don't know where the parking is related to where we need to be. We don't have access so to So this it. does, so let me, I'm going to hone in on this. And it's, can I go download this app? Yeah. yeah. Pol, P-O-L-I-S? Assist. Assist. Uh, yep. It's okay. free. And it's, it's only, free. it's in L.A. It's only in L.A. right now. We started on uh, San Francisco and New York, but they're not. So they're let not me see if I yet. get it right. It's, it's not like you've got uh, global satellites showing me where, parking spots yeah, what's are available. The, experience? It's, the idea is, um, I'm thinking of, I go down to San Vicente to see my dentist, my specialty dentist. I go down there and I've learned over time that if I drive two blocks away, it's free parking. Yeah, It's like no problem. So you're, you're suggesting will, will is like, for you. I look and I go, okay, if I just go one street over, now I'm going to have to hunt a little bit, but the chances are I've, I've just increased my, uh, my, uh, the p- possibility that I'll, I'll get a parking spot. Then that's what you do. Exactly. Yeah. And, and what, what you can also do and what we'll be doing as we get more users online, we reach a certain threshold, we'll be able to communicate within the, our app members. Oh, so and so is leaving within ten minutes. No, uh, so and so is leaving within five minutes because they because we have a check in and check out process. Right. So we know when they're there and we know what time they need to leave. Otherwise, they're going to get a ticket. So we warn them we and to go back you to their car. What? We warn people to go back to their car. I set an alarm in mine right now. Yep. So this app does yep. that for and you. And it walks you back to your car, tells you where your car is. Now go back to your car. You can choose to ignore that. It's up to you at your own risk. But we're helping people to avoid that. But it'll inform the system in real time. So if someone driving into that area would be like, oh, this person's leaving in five minutes or this person's just left. I have a better chance of getting that spot. If it did nothing else but remind you, hey, your parking's going to be up in five minutes. If if that was all the app functionally did... It would it would be a lifesaver, but let alone well. And then guess what it does is it provides a verification. So if you get back to your, you get back to your spot and you're like, I have a ticket, but I'm, you know, according to this on Greenwich Mean Time, which is better than what the the enforcement people have, I'm back on time. Oh well, it's checking me back in. I want to report electronically automated report saying I was here geosynchronously at this spot at this time. I returned on time, so I'm going to take that to court with me. To say, look, I've got better proof than you that I was there than you guys do that I wasn't. Oh. So, yeah, 
trying to keep it honest, but it's but you know what I went was just an idea, a way to you know create a, a, a business proposition to create a to solve a pain point because I think some of the best businesses out there are ones that try to alleviate I think a pain point. The best businesses. And so, but when I got into it, it just it it made me frustrated and somewhat angry at how the cities have been looking at uh, some of the most vulnerable citizens as a cash. Where there's got to be ATM machine. Yeah, there's got to be an entire research um, scholarship going on around that. About, I mean, because similar to prisons, right? This idea that if we take low-level offenders and we turn that into an incarcerable situation where we can pump them, th- or even just pumping them through the court system, and then once we and then we hold their credit down, and we can create this revenue stream from this group of people who have made, arguably not. Te- I mean, like you know a decision that is not all the way like staying an extra 15 minutes in your parking spot should not re- result in bankruptcy you know that, right. that that shouldn't be on the table that shouldn't be a tr- you know shouldn't trigger the and the then not doing the crime either not committing yeah. the crime shouldn't result in bankruptcy either right 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 <laughs> just being completely you know yeah uh but but that idea that that a that a city is under the pressure to look for alternative revenue streams like this, you know, to say like, oh, well, and it's, it's almost like they're drunk on the idea or that they have a, mm. an addiction to this parking revenue uh, that you look at it and you go, it shouldn't be penalizing. And what do you call it? A, a, it was the tax. You said regressive it was a, tax. a regressive, it's a regressive tax. tax. Yeah, it's like really a tariff. What it is. Yeah, yeah. It's a tourist tax, too. Oh, for sure. Really, people come into town. I would love to put a sign at LAX. Get police assist and avoid the tor- tourist tax in yeah, LA. <laughs> yeah. Well, I mean, it's the bedroom tax, right? Like, like the at the hotels. We went to a hotel, you know, down in in San Diego, and and there was, I mean, the bed tax was was significant compared to what we were paying for the room, and it was that feeling of like, why are we gouging the people that are coming here to spend money? There's a bed tax is a big part of the Santa Barbara city budget. It's and that's so weird that that the people who live here were like, yeah, we're fine with that. That's fine because we all have relatives coming to town. Like, yep, yep. silly, silly on my soapbox. I jo- say John Oliver did a whole program on on this type of thing as well as other minor infractions mm. and how they're affecting. He's the last guy on the planet I want to say my name on television. Oh, <laughs> it's gonna oh. not be good. Oh, very well. Re- well, you'll know he's about to say it. Yeah. <laughs> all right, if you want to edit that part out, that's fine. No, that's okay. <laughs> we love John Oliver. Dennis, um, this was fantastic. Uh, you know, I'm frustrated we're out of time. Uh, well, thanks but, for having me. Well, one of the things that, uh, well, first off, we find you at dmbaker.com. Right. Right. So if an organization wants to bring you in to help them resolve these kinds of issues, uh, the first part of the show around branding and messaging and, and those kind of conversations. Public and relations it's not just and crisis the, management. All, all, all of that. that yeah. yeah. All mm-hmm. that good stuff. Um, and you've got, just Google you and, and you'll see that you've got... Um, you have permission to do that business. You've done that for a long time. Uh, yeah, I've been doing it for about, yeah, since 2000 on my own. Yeah. yeah. And and then this app called Polis, which um, Patrick. Polis Assist. Polis I, Assist. I pulled it down onto my phone immediately. Yeah, while we were doing it. Yeah. And you, you showed us that yeah. so we can find it there. And as our listener knows, this is the, um, the my favorite part of the show, which is where, and as a marketing guy, you, you'll get this, um, we get to title the show. So, because we know that someone's swiping through our list of now over 200 episodes, and they say, oh, that looks interesting. Um, and we had prefaced this by saying there were two, two hats you're two wearing. Two hats, yeah. So, um, so it makes it cha- more challenging. Um, so what do we call on the show? Hmm. 
That's that's a great question. I guess I would say um, messaging that matters. Okay. Um, for the first part, and um, and I guess for Polis Assist and what 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 that's doing, I would say. Um, is there a tagline for Polis Assist? Uh, we're the ways of parking. What is it? The ways of parking. Okay. W a z e. Yeah. <laughs> Got it. We're kind of playing off of them a little bit. Yeah, that's um, I, I, that's a, an age-old way to help people understand what you do is to put one thing in another Attached to another, right? Mm-hmm. So, um, and the people yep. I think who do that the best are the people who are pitching Hollywood projects, <laughs> movies. <laughs> and like uh, a, that's a whole other topic. That's I've a whole other topic. Done that as well, right? Yeah. So, do you know how they um, they pitched Alien? Alien, the original, the original Alien. No, I'm ready. The Ridley Scott. Go, go ahead. Jaws in yeah. space. Oh, I, I was just gonna say Jaws. Yeah, Jaws yeah. in space. Jaws in space. Wow. That's how they pitch it. Dennis, thank you so much for coming to join us. I look forward to seeing you at uh, our upcoming TEDx events. You've been a big supporter. We appreciate that. Thank, thank you. you. Yeah, thank, thank you for you having me. So much for that. I also want to thank California Lutheran University School of Management and Gerhardt. I know you're listening. We love you, Ben. And Tolman and Weicker Insurance Services and our podcasting partner, Pullstring Press. If you're interested in doing a podcast, and Patrick, I, I mean, the phone's ringing off the hook. Why do it alone? Right? Why, you know, why be out there in the dark, feeling around, unsure of where the light switch is? Or Googling, do this, yeah. how to do a podcast. And then you have to watch a 20-minute tutorial. By a 19-year-old. By a by a guy who's whoever. It's always a guy. It's always a guy. It is always Let's be guy. honest. It's always like some guy, and you think like, I... I don't know that you're my guru. Uh, find us. We're your guru. We'll yeah. help you out. We can we can yeah. do that. So drop us a note because it the podcasting is is the what I love about it is you can pick one thin micro topic mm-hmm. and go long on that topic, and you will find an audience. There are people interested in what you have to say. Um, if you have an idea for a show or you've an idea for a guest for our show. Drop us a note, mark at 805connect.com. I'd love hearing from you. The show is 100% generated by your ideas. And until next time, this is Mark Sylvester, your host for 805 Conversations. <laughs>